This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. You're listening to 91.7 FM WIXR, and this is Meanwhile in Memphis. Meanwhile in Memphis is brought to you by New Memphis, a local leadership development nonprofit that is focused on developing, activating, and retaining talent right here to the 901. And this is part of our Favorite Things Holiday Edition, where we replay some of our favorite episodes throughout from 2022. So I have my wonderful teammate, Jamie, in the studio today Hey, to share what was one of her favorite episodes and it happened to be one of my favorite episodes as well so it was just a kismet moment for us good so um the episode that jamie chose is titled baby you're a firework it originally aired on may 17th 2022 it is episode um 20 of season two and the our guest is Nikhat Akbar Shah, and she is the VP of Shah Holdings Group, a film producer, activist, wife, mother, and impact investor, among other things. But she is also not agreeable. <laughs> um, right. So what attracted you to this episode, Jamie? Yeah. I mean, in addition to, you know, we get to hear parts of her TED Talk that she gave at TEDx Memphis called How Being Disagreeable Saved My Life. Um, I, I myself am a recovering uh, people pleaser and perfectionist. So a lot of what she said really resonated with me about, you know, when you set, when perfectionism is how you live your life, you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, you are setting the lowest expectation for yourself because perfection doesn't exist. Thus you are setting yourself up to constantly fail. And I just think a lot of what she said in this episode was, they were things that I needed to hear and I need to constantly remind myself of. I, the thing that I loved about this episode and why I loved talking to Nihat first off, she was, amazing. She was super fun. She took on a challenging topic with Mm -hmm. so much grace and, um, vulnerability, which I really appreciate, but she was also so kind, um, when she was in the studio with us earlier this year and it was really fun to talk to her, even though it was kind of a heavier topic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a recovering perfectionist (laughs) and I still gained a lot from this episode and talking with her because I do think that there are stereotypes that a lot of us as Southern women or as women in general, and I do not want to discount men. Also, there are plenty of stereotypes for you gentlemen out there as well. And non-binary people, everybody, there are stereotypes that we feel like we should match Mm -hmm. up to. And I think kind of busting up that illusion is something that we could all use a reminder about. Yeah, absolutely. And, And another thing that she was talking about, about how men, men are applauded for what they do, but women are applauded for who they are, what they are. That, that really, uh, rang true to me too. It's like the expectations are just, the pressure is so intense. It is. Um, And that there's, it's difficult to combat that if that's all you've ever seen. Yeah. And so, um, again, she talks about it with tremendous grace. And so I don't really want to, um, prolong that because this is kind of one of our longer episodes, which is a treat for you, but I'm thrilled that it was one of Jamie's favorites Mm -hmm. and that we get to revisit this because, um, TEDx Memphis 2023 is right around the corner coming up on February 11th. Yes. We will be at the Crosstown theater and we have an amazing lineup of speakers, you can head over to tedx-memphis.com to purchase your tickets for that. And 
Yeah, we're really excited for that. So one of our favorite things is TEDx. And one of our other favorite things is this episode by um, with Nigat Akbar Shah. And we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. There is a trigger warning on this episode that we included on the first one that this episode does deal with the topic of mental health and suicide prevention. So please be aware of the serious nature of this topic before you tune in, dear listener. We always want to make sure that we... Um, note a trigger warning when Mm -hmm. we feel it's applicable because we don't want you to kind of wade into waters that you had no idea you were getting into and, you know, not want to be there at all. So I think I was thankful for that because I listened to it at a time when I was like, okay, I I can, I know what I'm getting into today. So I think it's really important too, for you to like be in the right mindset to listen to something like that. Mm -hmm. And it is a difficult topic, but it is a necessary topic, especially, especially for me coming out of the pandemic when mental health awareness was really heightened. Mm -hmm. And I think we talk about that in this episode that it's an essential conversation always, but it's one that I'm thankful has gotten a lot more light shown on it in the last few years because of the need and recognizing what mental health is and how it affects each and every person uniquely. And I really feel like this episode hits on that. So it is one of our favorite things for 2022. This is Jamie's pick. It's my pick. So you better (laughs) listen. (laughs) Um, Baby, you're a firework. Welcome, Nigat. How are you? Uh, Thank you so much, Christy. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate you guys taking time and inviting me here this morning. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm very excited for this one. I think me and AT both are just really amped on the topic that you're here to talk about today. But before we get into all the juiciness that Mm -hmm. that will be, we want to hear a little bit more about you and give the audience a little insight into who you are. So what are some of your favorite humanitarian efforts that you're a part of? You know, uh, Christy, I'm a big um, proponent of uh, women financial empowerment. Mm-hmm. So women financial without women financial empowerment, so many of the causes that, that are closer to our heart are not possible mm-hmm. because we have to have women in decision-making position, in powerful position where they can lobby for the causes that are closer to our yes. heart. So we have to be able to spend money. Without money, there's no uh, freedom or empowerment. So one thing I work with is women financial empowerment also here in the United States and also in the areas in the area where I grew up. I was born and I was raised in Chitral. So and also I'm also uh, invested in mental health and suicide prevention at the same time uh, teaching skill development to youth. And these are a couple of and also I also um, my husband and I support St. Jude's and uh, Mid-South Food Bank. Yeah. Wow. Two amazing yeah. causes. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. They are very closer to my heart also. So um, the mental like health awareness mm-hmm. and the suicide prevention brings me to your award-winning short film. Yes, ma'am. This Bank of the River. Um, and can you tell me a little bit more about this film and why it was so important to you to, one, tell the story, but also mm-hmm. do it in the form of a short film? That seems like it was a different kind of an offshoot for you, or have you always been interested in producing films? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I became a producer out of default. Okay. Because, you know, I'm from this small mountainous region of Pakistan. It's serene. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. People are so kind, and their claim to fame is their hospitality and their kindness. 
But for the past 10 to 15 years, I we have been noticing an increase in mental problems and suicide rate. Yeah. So I wanted to do something about it. I'm the yeah. kind of person who, who likes to go there and do something. I don't necessarily talk the talk. I like to be uh, walk walk yes. the talk yes. kind of person. Not just words, actions. No, yeah. yes. Yeah. Some actions are very important. If not me, then who? Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. It's not somebody else's problem. You took yes. that very, you were like, yeah. I want to go help with this. Yeah. It was, it was kind of distant problem until this happened in my own family. My right. very dear cousin completed suicide. And one month after that, my husband's cousin also shot himself to death. So this was a very kind of heartbreaking situation in our family. But And then I decided to do something about it in a concrete way. Um, the film, the idea of a film was how people take stories to their heart. Mm-hmm. They learn something from this story. Mm-hmm. Instead of uh, giving them public service announcement or uh, taking them through seminars, it's like kind of preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have mental health and suicide prevention become a mainstream media talk topic Yeah, in Pakistan as well as in other parts of the world. So suicide and mental health is not only... Pakistan problem or the problem of that small area. It's like world problem. Absolutely. Even when I showed it to some of my friends in Memphis, they they were so much connected. They even cried after watching the film. Absolutely. So I mean, like you said, it is a worldwide problem, especially in the last few years. I feel like that has been even heightened. The the stress of mental health problems and things like that. It's just it feels like we just put everything in a pressure cooker and True. we got there faster. Like everything is just very heightened. Yeah. During COVID. Yes. Right. Everything became so tough, especially for uh, young adults. Yes. It was a tough situation because they were trying to become adults and they were, there were moms and there were young mothers, parents. It was a tough situation. So mental health is something that we should care more for. I completely agree. And I think when you put stories in a creative art form, whether yeah. that be film, actual fine art, yeah. et cetera, I feel like it delivers the message in a heightened way to people. Yes. And how you said people kind of had that impact walking away from the film. I, I don't know that you could have accomplished that in a different way. Like you, you probably could have. You could have given a speech. Like you could have. But that film touched people in a way yeah. that you just knew was needed. And so I think that's a very brave thing to do, first of all, for you to step out and take Mm -hmm. that on, but also very needed because to AT's point about the Mm -hmm. pandemic heightening everything, something I do think was, I see it as a pro, Mm -hmm. is coming out of this cycle of the pandemic. We're still in it, but, you know, we're kind of coming out. People I have noticed are becoming more comfortable having the conversation about mental health. And so how do you think the pandemic has kind of shifted that narrative of people becoming more okay with saying, I'm not okay? It's a lovely thing, you know. It's a lovely thing that people are okay now to say that I'm not okay. Because um, in many parts of the world, mental health is still a taboo subject. Very stigmatized, yeah. Very, very much. So I was trying to tell people that it's okay to talk about mental health mm-hmm. 
and it's about it's okay to say that I'm not okay. So even now that the film is not released yet, but there's a hype about the film. People mm-hmm. talk about the film, and as they're talking about the film, they're also discussing mental health and also the suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. So I really like it. So I I will share this with you. Uh, in June, the film is having its UK premiere. Premiere, awesome. So after that, it will be released to a couple of uh, very good platforms. Oh, more people can get that's access. exciting yes. <laughs> yes. how does that feel like how do you feel right now knowing I know it has to be nerve-wracking but also exciting it's very exciting yeah it's a our, our little effort is yeah. uh, being like credited and understood and kind of appreciated so it feels good and yeah. the, I think the thing too is your hope in creating this was that it would become a more mainstream topic. And so the reaction has to be like, yes, like they, they want this. They need, everybody needs this. Yeah. And they are craving this kind of a medium to showcase and make something a topic yeah. that is more mainstream. Because like you said, even if here in the U S or even in other parts of the world, it is becoming less stigmatized to say yeah. I'm yeah. not all right. Yeah. It doesn't mean everywhere that mm-hmm. that's still the case, particularly in strong traditional environments. True. Um that that yeah. is still a very taboo topic. I mean, things need to be a certain way all the time and women especially need to be a certain way. That's most that's times. very true because you know, women are supposed to be um tradition supposed to give in to traditions. Yeah. And they uh, they are expected to be a certain way. They are expected to do certain things, and uh, they are not allowed to do certain other things. Yeah. And they are supposed to be agreeable, nice, and all the time uh, kind, mm-hmm. because you know they cannot show their true selves. So these are some of the stigmas that are attached to being a woman in many parts of the world. Absolutely. Abs- yeah, it's- I completely agree. I think being a woman is. Not the only thing. Of course, men are not immune to having no. to be agreeable, right? Like, yeah, that is yeah, not. Yeah. But I do feel and retweet what you guys kind of just said. Like, it's the higher expectation put on women yeah. um, to just go through life and be super nice and kind because that's what's expected of us. But how much farther would we have gotten by now if we weren't? That's very true because, you know, what we do, uh, one, of my, one of the coaches that I really follow says that we are obsessed with how women are mm-hmm. and what men do. Yep. Like we are obsessed oh, with she's so it. pretty. She's nice. She's kind. Yep. On the other hand, we praise boys for doing something because like he kicked the ball. Mm-hmm. He's so amazing with his uh, studies. Things like that, right? We praise them for doing things, and we praise girls just for being. Uh, That's very enlightening to put that way. This is the the, uh, centuries-old condition, conditioning for girls, that we want them to be sweet, kind, and on the other hand, we want our guys to be assertive, uh, go out there, earn money. Right? Yeah, dominant, like, yeah, go-getter. like Go-getter. Those types yeah. of things are not, um, when they're applied to women, they're not generally that nice. <laughs> yeah, if girls, are, if girls are assertive, they're called bossy. Yes. If women are um, strong, they're called, like, uh, 
bitching. Yeah, I yeah. know. That's, I was just fixing to say my first kind of foray into this was when I was a lot younger. There was a documentary done on Nicki Minaj. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can't remember if it was MTV or VH1. It was kind of one of those behind the music, not a behind the music, but like yeah. that. And she's in a recording studio having a conversation with a man on her team. And she's like, you know, if a guy says how he wants something, if he says, this is how I want it, this is how you're going to do it, I'm paying you for the service, he's called a boss. He's like, if I do it, I'm called another B word that is, you know, like, and so that was my first thing as a young woman seeing that conversation. I know it's funny to like think of it in that way, but I was like, she's right. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, honestly, sadly, going back to another documentary about another singer, the Taylor Swift documentary too, where she's talking really loudly and she's in her own home Mm -hmm. and she's like, sorry, I'm being so loud. And then she goes, no, I'm not. This is my own house. I can talk however loud I want. But her initial response to being loud was like, oh, I need to calm down. I need to stop. I need to lessen myself. And then she had to, you know, break that conditioning to be like, I own this home. This is mine. The house I I paid for. I can be as loud as I want in this house. Yeah, we we are conditioned to second guess ourselves all the time. Every time. And you know how many times? I mean, it's it's very true that when girls start their sentence, I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. The amount of times I do that. (laughs) Right? We all do that. I mean, but we have to condition ourselves out of it. Mm -hmm. Right? I think it's about time that uh, we change ourselves first and then just say, I disagree. I disagree what society has been expecting me to do. I don't want to do this. I'm not um, wired to cook in the house all day long. Although I love uh, amazingly cooked meal, but I may not be the person who will be doing all the cooking. Because not every woman loves to cook, right? Or bake or clean or yes. raise children or whatever. Fill in whatever blank. Exactly. It is. Some of us are very good with numbers. Mm-hmm. Some of us are very good with finances. Some of us are good uh, creatively. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of now understand our true nature that we don't have to do all the things that society has um, established for us. Absolutely. We can do other things. It's not up to so, us to uplift and hold it all. Yeah. Like, it's just not. And I think this is the perfect place for us to transition into Nagat's 2021 TEDx Memphis talk, How Becoming Disagreeable Saved My Life. It is my pleasure to stand here and speak to you about an issue from which we all suffer. You won't see the extent to which it affects you until it stares you in the face. Whether it is you who suffers or those close to you, the degree of torment can lead to tragedy. The dilemma that needs to be addressed today is how we are conditioned by our families and society at large to be agreeable. My courage to become disagreeable has empowered me to shine lights on issues, to express love, and to live in harmony with the passions closest to my heart. By doing what is expected of us and working endlessly to keep everyone happy, we make ourselves miserable. 
and everyone around us pay a high price. We all have our own story in this cycle. My story is, I am from a small mountainous village where young girls grew up according to society's beliefs. My amazing supportive parents provided us with social privileges and educational opportunities that were considered progressive for my impoverished village. Yet, I was still expected to be agreeable. So were my female friends and the women around me. Now, what do I mean by this term agreeable? It is the fear that saying no will disappoint people. Being agreeable is believing that playing nice is the pathway to acceptance. Being agreeable is staying silent on issues you don't agree on so you can avoid conflict. Being agreeable is smiling and trying to keep everyone happy. While the cultural expectations in my native country are very different from those of the United States, it's reasonable to believe many of you ladies also grew up in communities and in situations where going along with what was expected of you was the right thing to do. Guys in the audience, it is not just women, whether it is you or other men you know, it is common for you to pursue career paths because somewhere along the line, you were led to believe it is what the men in your families do. You are made to believe it is dishonorable to pursue career passions that make less money. And you put in excessive hours at work in a job you don't like. Guys, we see you. We all experience mental distress by doing what is expected. After marrying, my husband Ruziman and I relocated to United States, where family values and work ethics were vastly different from our home country. Yet, the implied status quo was very much the same. Looking back, I was caught up fulfilling other people's expectations, this time of becoming a high-performing mother and a high-performing wife. I was a helicopter mom. I was such a perfectionist that I turned everything into a chore, including time with my kids. I was relentless. I secretly struggle with these agonizing questions every single day. What is wrong with me? Why am I so tired? Why do I feel I cannot manage my time? What is my calling? And how can I break this cycle? The empire I had built around doing what I thought was right crashed. As I faced my five-year-old daughter telling me, Mommy, you are always demanding us. 
you never spend quality time with us. And my nine-year-old son chimed in with, Mommy, just because you think it is perfect doesn't mean it is good for us. I realized being agreeable to everybody else's expectations was hurting us. In that moment, I knew I had to change my priorities. My husband saw my sudden urgency to strip away the shroud that concealed my true purpose. His support was a win for us. I know I'm the lucky one here because most couples, business partners, and family members strike out when we decide to become disagreeable. My long journey to self-realization led me to live a fulfilled life and also led me to focus on issues such as women financial empowerment, education, youth skill development, and most recently, mental health and suicide prevention. I produced an award-winning short film, Darya Ke Ispar, meaning This Bank of the River, which depicts the story of a young woman living in a beautiful mountainous valley who was unable to say, I disagree. This moment is inspired by my cousin, who is gone forever, along with thousands of other agreeable girls and boys who are unable to go against the grain by saying, I disagree. Let it be known, becoming disagreeable is a very rewarding, but a risky way to approach life, business, family, partnership, and relationship. However, it is a risk worth taking. Also, it is very important to understand what you are disagreeing with. You are disagreeing with unrealistic expectations that you know won't serve you. Everyone in the audience, for a moment, close your eyes and imagine a time where you wanted to say, I disagree. Open your eyes and repeat these two words, I disagree, after me. I disagree. I disagree. One more time. I disagree. I disagree. These two words, I disagree, helped me reach inward to the most powerful parts of myself, my dreams, my desires, and my purpose. The two words, I disagree, will help you open up to a life of purpose and limitless possibilities. Thank you. Welcome back, listeners. If you are listening, you are in here listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And we just got to hear the recording of our guest today, Niyad's 2021 TEDx Memphis talk, How Becoming Disagreeable Saved My Life. And now we're about to jump back into all of the post-TEDx questions, which is one of my favorite parts is getting to dive in deeper with the people who gave these amazing talks. So 
You speak of the dilemma of being agreeable. You kind of set up your talk in that premise. And something you opened with was saying, by working endlessly to keep everyone happy, we make ourselves miserable. And you kind of touched on your own story within that cycle. And it's, as a people pleaser, that statement hit me extremely hard. Um, So why do you think it is that we get in that cycle of working endlessly to please others? Because that's what society's expectations are for us, uh, for even for uh, men, not yeah. only for women. Right. Because society expects women to be very kind, very nice, and uh, agree to what the family is asking you to do mm-hmm. and be. And also society also asks men to become amazing earners, Mm -hmm. provide to their families. Otherwise, they are considered failures. Yeah, less Mm -hmm. than, yeah. You know, so in order to please everybody and fulfill the expectations of our community, of society, of families, we fall into that cycle of pleasing others. Absolutely. Knowingly or unknowingly. Some of us know that we are people pleaser and we can say we do this. Mm -hmm. And some of us don't know, but still we please people even though we are sarcastic, but we still do the things that they expect us to do. So this is a kind of a trap that sometimes... I feel like I'm very strong. I don't do what other people ask me to do. I'm very sarcastic and I am very uh, 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 loud mouth, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the reality is, even with my loud mouth, make other people uncomfortable, but I still do what the yeah. society is expecting of me. I feel like I'm caught up in that same kind of conundrum of where I like to think of myself more as like bucking the system in some ways. And in other ways, I do fall immediately in line. Exactly. When I feel as though I've kind of rocked the boat a little too much. Yes. And many of us who consider ourselves strong women, all of us, people pleaser, not people pleaser, we fall into uh, that uh, trap. Mm. It's sacrificing yourself to make someone else's life easier sometimes. And I think it's just such a delicate Mm push-pull because it's like, when do you stop sacrificing yourself? Um, You know? When you realize, I believe, when you realize that fulfilling other people's expectations are not filling your need and not making you and your family happy, Mm -hmm. then I think it's the uh, wake-up call. It was a wake-up call for me. To be honest, my uh, wake-up call was given to me by my little daughter. She was five or six at that time. So other than that, I was thinking I'm just a perfect mother, perfect wife. (laughs) I was doing everything. But her remarks about not spending quality time with her made me very uncomfortable in my own like amazing, wonderful life. It was like holding up a mirror. I know. What yeah. What was your immediate reaction to that? Like, as a mother, my immediate reaction to be would be, like, one, defensive and be like, no, we do. Look at all the times that I do spend wonderful time with you. And then also to be like, wait, like, I'm – and then internalize and feel like I've missed the mark again. That was exactly my reaction. I was really defensive. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> what are you talking about? You're just a little child. 
I spend most time with you. Mm-hmm. And she's like, mm-mm, you cook, <laughs> you clean, and you make us do our homework. You don't spend quality time with us. And then that's when you look in and you're like, oh, now I've, it's another thing I've missed the mark on. Yeah, I was teary-eyed. Oh. And I kind of understood the, um, the truth in her remarks. Mm-hmm. And also, I wasn't ready to accept my fault in it, that in actuality, I wasn't spending quality time with them. I was making them do chores, homework. So later on, it was a time to reflect and go deep down into my own like uh, mind that what should I really be doing in my life? Right. Okay. So again, that's what I feel like I, your talk made me like call to the carpet on. It was like, I find myself getting caught up in a lot of really good things. They're not inherently bad, Mm -hmm. cooking, cleaning, Mm -hmm. making your children do homework, things like that are not inherently bad things. Mm -hmm. But if it exhausts your family to the point that you have no time to do anything other than come home and fall into bed, then what kind of a life is that actually? Exactly. We try to be such a perfectionist that we make everything into like everything, like I I made everything into a chore, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So perfectionism is something that that's the lowest standard that we give to ourselves. Ooh, okay, yeah. So that's not through me. Tony Robbins says that, that if you are a perfectionist, you are unlucky because you are giving yourself the lowest standard. I've never heard it put like that. That's very yes, interesting. Yeah. So instead of being perfectionist, we have to be um, go out there and do things that make you happy. So what kinds of stuff did you immediately, after like taking a time to reflect, did you immediately like strip away from your schedules and calendars? Before like uh, this happened, I was a helicopter mom. So my kids were into were doing so many mm-hmm. extracurricular activities. And I was also busy cooking, cleaning, and everything. So I made some uh, thoughtful kind of rational changes to my schedule. So I started cooking a bit less. Mm-hmm. So cook one day, my husband and I partner one day and keep it in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I try to change my kids schedule, like made it more relaxed so it's yeah. easy for them. Otherwise, you know, what's the point of sending our kids to extracurricular activities all day long when they don't have a little moment of reflection? Mm-hmm. Because they also need that mental uh, mental peace. Yes, absolutely. So those were some of the changes that changed my life and my kids life. We became happy as a family. Not that. We were not happy. Right. Again, we were happy. All the things you were filled with were still good. They weren't inherently bad, any of them immediately. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have to have support system. If you have people who you can uh, bring in and they can help you with cooking and also cleaning, instead of you doing the cleaning for once a week, you can hire someone to do the cleaning for you. Because you can either be cleaning the house all day long or take your kids to extracurricular activities. You have to kind of uh, choose from mm-hmm. which one is more important for you at that point in time. Absolutely. That so it, I think it reminds me of so many things. I feel like that's the biggest piece of advice I got when I was coming into the workforce mm-hmm. was from other working moms. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you can have it all, quote unquote, but you have to know, like you can juggle all the balls. You just have to know which ones are glass and yeah. which ones are plastic. Yeah. They were like, because if you drop the glass ones, you're in trouble. 
But if you drop the other ones, then they'll bounce back and it's fine. Like you can be fine without a home cooked dinner. You know, you can be fine with someone else cleaning your house. You can be. But if you drop the big stuff, the glass ones and everybody's glass ones look different. Yeah. That's the thing, too, is like everybody's family happiness, their their unit. Yes. And everybody's individual mental health, too, looks different. The things that need to be prioritized to gain that balance look different for everybody. Yeah, that's very true. You know, exactly this, that was the decision I went through and I did exactly like that. What's more important for me? My time with my kids. Mm -hmm. And that was because at that time I was also going to school and I had a choice to either not go to school and spend all the time with my kids, do cleaning and everything. So instead of that, I had to kind of sacrifice some of the um, corporal duties Mm -hmm. that I do in the house on a daily basis. And instead, I chose to spend time with my kids and also focus on my studies. And also some part of it was focused on our business. Okay. I like that. That's, it's just a good reminder. What, What I think is so powerful about what you just said is the actionable steps are great, but it's also the bigger messaging of breaking that generational yeah. cycle. Because as women, I feel like we learn a lot from watching our mothers. We learn a lot from watching those influences in our life. And if you were to have continued that way, your kids are seeing that that's what they should emulate, that that is with the path that they should go down as well. And with you kind of breaking that chain and being like, no, we're going to input these things here, here, and here, I think you have given your kids the uplifting thing they need to then go continue to fuel that forward. Yeah, that's that's exactly the thing. You know, sometimes we end up glorifying suffering and yes. too much work for women. Absolutely. You know? Yes, so absolutely. So we have to stop doing that. If I am not a uh, 18th century looking mother <laughs> who yeah. does all the work, absolutely. does yeah. that make me a bad mother? No. No, right? So I have other things to focus on because... If I spend cleaning and cooking in the house all day long, how am I supposed to focus on my other humanitarian projects, mm-hmm. right. right? I have to choose where I'm most needed, what's more important to make me uh, fulfilled. Mm-hmm. So this is the conditioning that we have to step out of. We have to break the cycle somewhere. If not us, then who? Right. Yeah. Right? Um, we have to ask this question to ourselves every day. Yeah. That if not me, then who? That perfectionism thing you brought up earlier, kind of, because I'm not a mother. So, like, that, like the specific examples don't apply to me, but this whole image, like, messaging does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I feel the voids other ways. I don't have children. Yeah. I don't have a family. But I sometimes am still, I feel like I always have to be on. I always have to say yes. If someone mm-hmm. asks me to do something, I have to say yes. It's the perfectionist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to do it the best. Yes. Like, I can't say no. So, I feel like what you're saying is just applicable beyond that family model. It's That's absolutely. Everyone listening. Everybody, no matter what stage of life, you know, like we talked about earlier, male, female, anybody Mm -hmm. listening to this podcast has a million things pulling at you. I would venture to say, (laughs) I would venture to say everybody has too many things on their plate and could stand to give up a few in, in, in pursuit of some mental health. That's true. That's totally. Something I'm curious about is, was there a cultural shift in being agreeable, like when you moved to the United States or even to Canada? Like, were there differences, but the underlying cause was still you need to be agreeable? Did it look different, or was it the main things were still there? You, 
it's it's funny that you might think it's totally different, but it's still the same. Mm-hmm. The underlying yeah, issue is the same. You can come from a different background. I can come from a different background. But if you see deeply, we've always been expected to do certain things, and we have been doing them. It's interesting to me, too, again, like, so I'm a born and raised Memphian. Mm-hmm. We talked about this on the podcast before, but I find myself highly traditional. Mm-hmm. I find myself, like, leaning into traditions a lot. So whether it's a specific way we celebrate holidays or the activities we participate yeah. in, um, how have you personally found balance between holding space for things like tradition at all or, like, customs or things like that and then also finding the space to be able to say, this isn't serving me? You know, let me tell you this. We live in the South, right? Yes. South is not very far away from a very traditional culture. Mm -hmm. So when I'm from Pakistan, I'm a Muslim. So the traditions are not very different. You celebrate Christmas, I celebrate Eid. Mm -hmm. So um, you are expected to have to gather your family members in your house when it's Christmas. I'm also expected to have family members and uh, feed them when it's Eid. Right. So the traditions are different, but the expectations, what we do with those traditions are uh, uniformly almost the same. Mm -hmm. So I didn't find it very different. Did you, like, when you had that uh, awakening, though, from your daughter, and Mm -hmm. you started, like, stripping things out of your schedule, did you find that it was difficult to let go of some of the traditional things? Or for you personally, was it not that hard? No, it wasn't that hard for me because uh, tradition. I'm uh, like, like I said, we all have four days for what we do best and what we like to do and what mm-hmm. we don't like to do. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, cooking every day was not my thing, <laughs> though I was cooking every day. Okay. But cooking once a week or twice a week became so easy for me, yeah. and I liked it because all the other days I'm not cooking. Right, and it made it enjoyable because you didn't feel the chore. Like you said, you were making everything into a have-to-have. You had to to do it. Yes. Instead of I want to do it. I want to do it. True. That's interesting. So these are some of the things. I think we have to um, sacrifice something for the other. What's more important? We have to choose that one. So saying yes to something is saying no to something else. Of course. And saying it's no always saying, a yeah. trade-off. A, yes. yes. Always. Life is a trade-off. Definitely. And I know you spoke to like having that strong support system in place. So I'm kind of curious, as you start to shift how you focus things, I know I'm very close to my family. They're a strong yeah. support system for me. But they also have expectations yeah. that I am also at a combat with sometimes and I'm like, that's where my agreeableness is getting pushed. So how was your family when you started taking on this model of being disagreeable? Uh, it's, you know, it's a strong word when I say being, it was not like I put uh, put my foot down. Absolutely, yeah. At on one point yeah. I said, I'm disagreeable, Correct. I'm not doing no. anything. No, but no, you no, have to, all. yeah, you have to move your way through yeah. uh, so many things. You have to, uh, when you are thinking shifts, in a few months, you will mm-hmm. see that your life has changed around your thinking yeah. because you make those changes eventually. You do not change like drastically Absolutely. like that. And the the thing I say about support system, it's very important for us because, you know, there's a whole community, the culture, family behind a guy to make him successful mm-hmm. in his career. When we talk about sons we talk about their career 
when they start making money, we ask them Absolutely. to then get married. On the other hand, we do not do that for girls, okay? Girls are the biggest support in their families for their family for their family members, mm-hmm. uh, mainly guys. Mm-hmm. So we have to now understand the fact that uh, uh, the thing that they say self-made, it's a vague concept, in my opinion, because there's no such thing as being self-made. How are you consider yourself self-made when the whole community, whole culture is supporting you to become successful, mm-hmm. to become the man of your words, to become to make more money? Only because your um, family's money did not drop down to you doesn't mean you but are self-made. Made. Yeah. Okay. So women now need the same support, the same kind of societal support, cultural support, and family support. If not material support, at least mental support. Absolutely. That we know you can succeed. Hey, how is your career going? That brings up an amazing yeah. point. Because I feel like whenever I walk into a room, specific family, anywhere, it's always, who are you dating? When when do you when do you think you're are you gonna ever get married? Look at that. Like what is and when my male counterparts, whether that be a male relative, a male friend, it's always, hey, how's work going? Exactly. What are you working on these days? It's never that way for me. It's always about the relationship part that's expected of me first. Yes. Because you are praised for being, Correct. not for your actions. Just exactly. like what you talked about from yes. before. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm actually more successful than him. So how about you ask me how my, how work, my is. work is yeah. going? And then you ask him when he's gonna go get a wife because he has been dating. Every Everybody these days. So, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's just, it's that dichotomy of like, why can people not shift this narrative? Exactly. It, it makes you such a put down, right? Yes. I mean, feel bad. Um, in your TED Talk, you uh, showed a small clip from your film to go yes. along with your talk. And for those listening to the talk just a minute ago, they um, you can go see it on the TEDx Memphis YouTube page also. But I wanted you to talk a little bit about the clip that you showed and tell us about the importance of showcasing that particular clip alongside mental health awareness and being disagreeable. Okay. That's, uh, um, Anna, that's the clip from, um, from the film. Mm-hmm. It shows when the girl had enough of the mental stress and the pressure, she is uh, going to attempt suicide. She's walking in, she's very desperate, and uh, she has no, she found no other um, outlet where she can went or she can go to some uh, help or something. So it's that moment where she has decided that this is the only way to go. Mm-hmm. But this story is not the story of suicide. This is a story of hope in the midst of negativity, despair, and sadness. So um, even in that moment when you are very sad, you have to sit and reflect on some of the things that can go right in your life. Mm-hmm. So. The film is, of course, we didn't have time to show the whole film. Right. It's a 30-minute-long film. At the end, uh, we show, we give hope in the film that that girl is finally saved. I thought it was um, interesting that you chose that clip um, because it does show this woman in deep despair, and she's standing on the precipice. She's standing yeah. on that bridge. You can see the rushing water below her. Yeah. You can feel the heaviness that she is carrying with her. Yeah. And 
it ends there. She's standing there for yeah. that moment of reflection. Yeah. And so I found that to be very powerful because I feel like at any given time, any number of people mm-hmm. in Memphis, in our country, around the world can feel that heaviness and mm-hmm. feel like there is possibly only one way exactly to because, find relief. Yes, because mental health, people don't understand mental health hurt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a hurt somewhere in your body or everywhere in your body mm-hmm. because uh, mind controls everything. Absolutely. When mind is in pain, the whole body, the whole being is in pain. People don't understand that. Sometimes we ask questions and we have to, we all have to have this type of education that what should we say when people are uh, telling us about their mental problems? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We are not equipped. I'm not equipped. Mm. So uh, kind of we have to uh, educate ourselves in that. Absolutely. I think we have a long way to go. I think society is catching up uh, to yeah. that. Not as fast as we would probably like to see, no. but I do think that conversation is happening more and more. Yeah. And my hope for the future is that that continues. Yeah. Um, and we kind of keep forging forward there. So on that note of continuing forward, what is your hope for when people see your talk, when they listen to your talk, what do you hope they take away most from it? Uh, you know, uh, one thing is uh, prioritize mental health. Another thing is uh, support system for every person is very important. Mm-hmm. Men, women, children. And third thing I would say is society's expectations that are not serving you yeah. are not worth lingering on to. So it's important that we let go some of the uh, expectations. Sometimes we follow other people's expectations because we want to be perfect in yeah. every way. That's not possible, right? Perfectionism is not the thing we should strive. We should strive to be successful and fulfilled. Yeah. Perfectionism doesn't make us fulfilled. It makes us frustrated, tensed, yeah. and upset all the time. I feel like we think it's going to make us happy, like achieving this thing of perfection, no matter what in your head that is for you. It could be like, when I get to this level of my Mm -hmm. career, I'm going to feel great and amazing. And I think what we so often find ourselves in the loop of, or at least I can speak from personal experience, I'll use an I statement here, is I'm like, oh, I just need to get through this rough patch. And when I get here, everything's going to be better. And then I get there and I'm like, oh, what I just like spent so much time striving, striving, striving. And now... I put so much pressure on this thing now that I'm here, it doesn't necessarily live up to that expectation that I put in my head. True. And it's just, I feel like as a society, we're conditioned to do that. Right. Because we don't know what's perfection. Yeah, exactly. Because when we achieve that, we don't know. There's always something next. There's always something next. It's never enough. Never enough. Like spending your life plotting your step and not enjoying the present, I think mm-hmm. has been one thing I take away from your talk um, is very like living in the moment you're in now, yeah. um, which is kind of some subtext I got from your talk. Yeah. But it's also something that hits really hard for me because I am that person who is always one. I'm just an anxious individual <laughs> who is a perfectionist. And so just trying to strive to that next thing. But that doesn't you're not living no. if you're always looking to that next place. True. And so I'm kind well, of, I feel like it also, like for me, it, I feel like it, I, I'll use another I statement. I feel like a lot of times it's easier 
to just go with the flow. Yeah. You think you're doing yourself a favor. Like, yeah. okay, it's not worth the conflict. True. Uh, it's not worth, you know, this being the thing that I combat people on. Yeah. But what <laughs> happens when you do that over and over and over and over again is that it hasn't helped. It wasn't actually easier. All you've done is made it more difficult for yourself in the long run. Yes. Because you haven't won any of your small battles so how can you win the war at the end for yourself you know what I mean like you you go into that mindset of being agreeable thinking that it's going to be easier and it's not that's true the outcome the outcome is that it's actually just much harder for yourself yeah you put it mentally if not anything else I think that was going to be my next question for you is you know being disagreeable saved your life as the title of your talk you know so as you have gone forward, has being disagreeable become a little bit easier for you? You know, if we understand it well, becoming disagreeable is easier than becoming agreeable. Because when you are agreeable, you are working hard from your mind, from your soul to fulfill other people's Mm -hmm. expectations of you. So when you are disagreeable to other people's expectations that are not serving you, then you are only serving you and your higher self. Right. So um, that way, when you are disagreeable, you are nice to other people because you're not doing things because somebody else is expecting you to do. You are doing them because that makes you happy. Yeah. You're putting yourself first. I have found becoming disagreeable more easy because when you are disagreeable to certain things, it's easy for you to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I cannot fulfill this uh, task. I'm busy with other things. But if I can do it on uh, Tuesday next week, I will do it, right? Yeah, Instead right. of saying, okay, and then putting yourself into a tremendous pressure to fulfill because in your mind you are a perfectionist too mm-hmm. because you want to fulfill it uh, to the uh, minute details. Be glad you guys don't have to date. But there are times like where I find myself being like, yeah, I'll I'll go or like, yes, I, I'm OK with this thing you did like you. I really feel disrespected by what you just did to me, but I'm going to say it's OK just so I don't rough in the waters because I don't want to cause any trouble right now. That's not OK. Mm-mm. And it is a disservice yeah. to me to do that in my life in any portion so I am very happy that we got to have this chat with you today. Oh, so yeah, happy. Oh, it's so good. It is, yeah. Much needed for everyone. It's, it was cathartic Thank for you. me. Yes. I don't know about the listener, but I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it, too. Good. Well, we have a couple of last-minute questions. Okay. So you do a lot. You and your family have the Shaw Holdings. Like, you guys do so much. How can people keep up with you and what you guys work on? Um, Shaw Holdings Group is a business that yeah. we have an office for it. And um, we go there in the morning yeah. to work, <laughs> You're like, we and do then all we the work. go back home. <laughs> and then I have a production company that yes. I opened last year. So, uh, you know, like I said, I became a producer out of default. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm a producer, there are certain causes that are closer to my right. heart. So I want to highlight them. Mm-hmm. So I did make a film about mental health and suicide, and it has made its way into mainstream media. And uh, it has uh, become a kind of a, a good a good way that people talk about it now, yeah. mental health and suicide. Another um, thing that was so closer to my heart, another cause, was uh, child labor. Mm-hmm. So I am 
in the production of making another feature film. Okay. Oh, wow. Child labor. That's the next, next thing. Wow. So, Already working on the next one. <laughs> yes. And I it's a feature am, film, right? It's going to be a feature film. Wow. Okay. So you step out of that comfort zone again. Not a short film. It's going to be big. Okay. It's wow. going to be a big. Yeah. I stepped out of that comfort zone because, uh, you know, after making this film, I realized if a short film can impact so much, make people think about a certain topic, then if I want to raise awareness about other stuff, I should go about visual medium. Mm-hmm. So I love that. Absolutely. There was another project, so I am doing that right now. That's so cool. Thank you. We're super excited for you. So last but certainly not least, we like to end the show by asking this question to our guest and kind of close out this way. We never prepared them for it. Okay. So it's not that we forgot to ask you. We just want to get your first instinctual answer. So um, you have chosen Memphis. You have made your home here. Your family is here. Um, what does being a Memphian mean to you? Um, being a Memphian, I, I like Memphis. It's, people are really good here. Mm-hmm. And, um, my family loves Memphis. My, almost my whole family is here. Oh, amazing. And also, you know, uh, people in Memphis are very good with volunteerism. When you have, when we have programs here, you see people going out and about doing community services. I think uh, Memphis is uh, very good in giving back to the community. Yeah. I I really like that. And uh, I've come from Pakistan. I moved here. Like, I have lived here more than half of my life. Mm -hmm. So, in a way, I'm a Memphian. Mm -hmm. Both of my kids are Memphian, and they love Memphis. My son says he can go to any place (laughs) in the world, but at the end, he needs to come back to Memphis. I love that. So uh, we love Memphis. We love Memphis people. And we have a community here, Pakistani community. And we just, we we enjoy Memphis. You rally behind the city. Oh, yes. Love it. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been tremendous. And we cannot wait to see what wonderful things you do in the future. And we're excited for the big premiere. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time here. Thank you for tuning in, dear listener. You just listened to one of our favorite things from 2022. This was Jamie's pick. Yes. I hope you all enjoyed it. Learned things. Yes. Um, and I also want to applaud you, dear listener, for taking the plunge on a on a difficult topic mm-hmm. and being willing to kind of do the work internally to move the needle on that and recognize mental health um, awareness and issues around you as they might arise. So again, this was one of our favorite things, Baby, You're a Firework. It originally aired on May 17th, 2022. It was a TED episode, and we <laughs> have um, our TEDx Memphis 2023 coming up right around the corner on February 11th. You can head over to newmemphis.org to learn more about that. And since it is the season of giving, dear listener, you can also click the donate button up at the top. It's a big red donate button. You cannot miss it. Jamie, why should they donate? You should donate because giving to New Memphis is basically like giving right back to the city. You know, we are all about the people of this city. We're all about connecting people. And we, we provide great events for the public, great events like TEDx, you know, innovative speakers, new ideas. So if you like events like that, you like giving back to your community directly, then give to new Memphis. Yay. I love it. Okay. Well, 
this closes out our favorite thing for this week. And so until next Tuesday, dear listener, bye. Bye Bye-bye. This week's episode is made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.